We have the, the deposit of eternity within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so we can begin to live out eternity right now. And so we don't have to be afraid because we've already started eternal life. Hey there, welcome friend. This is Brian Del Turco. We are in a global moment, as we all know, a global pandemic, a global economic crisis, which is attending this pandemic. And I want to encourage you, there is power in hearing from kingdom voices during this time. And we're going to hear again today from Michael Hoff. And there is also power in kingdom conversation I think this dialogue will encourage you. It should inspire you. I encourage you to go back and hear, again, episode 120, or if you haven't heard it yet, How Should God's People Live When Crisis Shows Up? The first part of the conversation with Michael Hoff. We discussed how will we meet this moment. Michael Hoff says we have to meet it with perspective, looking back to the history of Christ movement and also looking ahead to the horizons that he has before us. And we position ourselves for personal and corporate rejuvenation, really giving due diligence to our calling as Christ followers. This is episode 124. Today's episode is God's people are built for crisis. One of the things I appreciate about Michael is his passion for biblical knowledge and historical knowledge. He's a PhD candidate in renewal theology And he seeks to to see that biblical knowledge lived out in the lives of God's people. But listen to this, blended, wedded with the life and power of the Holy Spirit, doing greater things in the same way that Jesus invited his disciples to do greater things. Please go to the show notes page, jesussmart.com slash built for crisis to dive a little deeper for links and resources mentioned today. You can stream it there again. There's other listening options, links to Michael Hoff's resources. Today, we'll be discussing how Martin Luther handled a plague in his day. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Michael talks about how eternal life actually begins now and how we can begin to sample and live in the spirit of life in Christ Jesus now. He talks about the Spanish flu, what God's people did in 1918. He blends pragmatics with a balanced, grounded understanding of a a dynamic faith, full-spectrum Christ following, I like to call it. How can we be renewed during this time? He really has a lot of great insight to drop on that topic. So he gives us this historical perspective. He talks about how Christianity actually grew through plagues in history And he ends by talking about how we can really structure our day, every 24-hour day, and our weeks, but our day, because the week is the sum of our days, right? How we can structure our day around intimacy with Christ, around prayer, and really practicing the presence of Christ and positioning ourselves to bring our kingdom contribution to the table during these times. It's a great conversation. Here's Michael Hoff. Give us a little bit, sort of an overflight about renewal history and how God's people respond in major crises. And, you know, what can we take away from that? What can we learn? You know, you know, it says in Hebrews, when we come to Christ, we, we, we come to the spirits of those who have been made perfect, you know, we're, who are enrolled in heaven, you know, the general assembly. There's some sense in which 
there really is a reality in which we are connected with those who have preceded us in Christ. But yeah. what, what can we learn from them about how to respond to crisis? I think that we can see where they've responded well and where they haven't. You know, I one thing I don't want to do is give the, the picture that the church has always been perfect, and we certainly haven't been. There have been, you know, major periods of breakdown, periods of moral failure, periods of darkness. Sure. I mean, you know, but but as we look at, we consider renewal, as we look at the places where the church has responded well, um, you see that, especially with the early church, you know, for, for me, looking at uh, Galen's plague in Rome, we see that Christians were known for caring for their neighbors, caring for their pagan neighbors, that as as people would flee the city, the Christians would stay to take care of the sick. Uh, even as physicians during this era were fleeing from the plague, and it may have been smallpox, you know, there, it, it may have been measles. They, they're not, you know, 100% sure on what exactly this plague was okay. uh, that swept through the Roman Empire during this time frame. But I mean, it's the kind of thing that was literally, they were, they had to stop having battles during the war. Wow. <laughs> because there were people that were dying on the battlefield from, from this plague. And so you would, the, the people who were going over the battlefields afterward, looking at the bodies, found people without any wounds who had just died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, some of the, the crazy estimates were that, you know, it had impacted uh, up to 70 percent. And that's that's probably just too high. Um, but at the same time, you know, any, any it was far greater than one percent, uh, which others have have proposed. So, uh, you, you know, this is some of the challenge of doing historical work, right? Somewhere between 70 percent and one percent of the population was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, can we be a little bit more precise? <laughs> but you know, seeing the way that the church responded, it didn't matter that people were dying. Because for Christians, we believe in a God who gives eternal life. We serve a Christ who went to the cross for us. And so in the midst of this, the Christians offered hope to people even as they were dying. And there's a crazy thing that, that kind of happened as as a byproduct of this. Between the connection and community and uh, their the resilience of hope, Christians did better during these, like physically, mm. Christians did better during these pandemics Interesting. Uh, than, than non-Christians, just because uh, they, they tended to adapt well because they had better safety nets and, uh, and people continued to care for them. And so as these networks of care were continuing, uh, after these, these plagues would sweep through, there was a higher percentage of Christians left. But they also offered people the hope of eternity. And this is what you know, allowed Christians to go into these into these environments where they were their lives were at risk, and they could continue to care for the sick, even the pagan sick, even those who were strangers to them that were sick, was because they knew that they were anchored in the fact that Jesus died and rose again, and because he did, eternal life has already started for the believer in Jesus Christ. That eternal life is not something that happens after we die, but the kingdom of God is here and now. And we start to experience that as, um, you know, as Paul talks about the Holy Spirit being a deposit of eternity. We have have the, the deposit of eternity within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so we can begin to live out the eternity and the eternal value of the kingdom of God right now. And so we don't have to be afraid because we've already started eternal life. Okay. And for us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so that's, and I don't want to minimize the fact that we can have moments of fear, that we can have moments of tension. Sure. Certainly. And I think that is an, a normal human response. But 
you know, I, my wife just wrote uh, an article about, uh, you know, she sent out an email talking about uh, Lysol wiping a banana. And, you know, these, we have these two, these two uh, kind of mindsets within us from time to time. One that, you know, we trust in the kingdom of God, we trust in who God is. And then we have moments where we kind of freak out and we're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Lysol wipe this banana before I eat it. Um, but we need to allow the, the governing reality of our life to be that of faith. And, you know, that this is what can allow us from a philosophical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, to step into dangerous situations, risk our lives, because we know ultimately that we're not living for ourselves and that we already possess eternal life. Already possess eternal life. It's like Hebrews 6, 5, we partake of the Holy Spirit, we partake of God's word, and we taste the powers of the age which are to come, right? We're able yeah. to sample it and ingest some of that now. We're already experiencing eternal life. So really, like physical healing, for example, is not, let me ask you, is not physical healing a sampling or a foretaste yeah. of the totality of healing that will occur in the new heavens and the new earth? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a deposit. It's a, it's a, Pastor Steve, uh, Steve Wood of Bethel Cleveland, you yeah. know, has often said that it's a, it's an appetizer, you know, and that periodically we get appetizers of heaven we get these small tastes of what will be the full banquet in the presence of Jesus yeah. and that healing healing now is one appetizer. It is one small taste. And, you know, not everyone gets healed. Jesus didn't heal everyone everywhere all the time. They were told that, you know, as he went into Galilee, faith was low. He didn't do a lot of miracles. Um, you know, but there are, you know, there is enough evidence that, you know, Jesus did heal. He consistently healed. And the healing has been a, a part of the Christian, you know, Christian tradition, Christian tradition, mm -hmm. You know, for 2,000 years, I mean, right. there there has been a consistent witness uh, to the care for the sick, to the praying for the sick, and the recovery of the sick um, throughout the history of the church. So, you know, I, I think that physical healing is one component. Um, but at the same time, we can hold on to this, and through faith, we can say, you know, though he slay me, still I will worship him. You know, we can we can attach to that confession of Job, or you know, we can whether it's the uh, you know the the Hebrew young men in the book of Daniel who refuse to worship even though they're threatened with the fire, and they're right. like, look, God can preserve us through this, but even if He doesn't, we still won't bow the knee. That's right. And and so it's that it's kind of embracing some of that mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my wife and I recently watched, I fell asleep during part of it and it scared my wife because she was alone watching it, but it was a documentary on the on the Spanish flu of 1918, you know, concurrent with World War One. Yeah. Um, but these times of crisis, I, you've, you, you have some thoughts on that as well, like, right, the bubonic plague or the Black Death or, yeah. or, or the 1918 flu during World Wars. I mean, um, again, what, what do we see with God's people and, and what can it teach us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start with um, a quote from Martin Luther. You know, a, a pastor asked him that uh, surrounding, you know, 1527, bubonic plague is coming through Wittenberg. And, you know, Martin Luther at this point in time has already been cast out of the Catholic Church. He has been condemned as a heretic. So uh, he is now the head of the Lutheran Church. He is leading a new church body. Uh, and he is trying to help pastors, you know, navigate the difficulty of situations that okay. are going on. And there were waves of the plague 
plague, really from the 1300s on, the plague was something that came in cycles and hit different geographic regions at different times. And it would, at different times, wipe out up to 70% of the city. I mean, Florence uh, in particular was hit particularly hard in mm. the 1300s and um, almost 70% of the city was wiped out. I mean, there, you know, just read whether it was, um, you know, there were, there were cities that were abandoned during that time frame. And in the same, the same happened with uh, the plagues with Galen that I mentioned earlier. I mean, there were Roman cities then that were abandoned because of a lack of population. People fled the city and in, it was depopulated and ceased to be uh, a city. And the same uh, happened through different times as the plague swept through Europe. Um, but Martin Luther in Wittenberg was asked by a pastor whether or not someone may flee the plague. A and Christian. Should, should, yeah, should a Christian, Christian flee? This is, this is for Christians and particularly Christian leaders. And um, so Martin Luther, you know, he said this. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air. Uh, they thought that uh, the plague was caused by miasma or, or bad air. Okay. So he's saying he's going to fumigate. He'll help purify the air. Uh, and then he says, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid plague. Places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above." See, this is such a uh, sorry. See, this is such a God-fearing faith mm. because it ne- is neither brash nor foolhardy, and does not tempt God. Wow, wow. Yeah, I mean that when I when I read that, you know, a friend of mine shared that uh, on Facebook, and when I I saw that, you know, I traced it down. It's it's from Luther's works, volume forty-three. But um, you know, when you you see that, you know, you 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 know, you hear his pastoral heart. You hear wisdom in yes, this. Practi- right? First practi- of all, he asked God for mercy. Yeah. But then he says, I'm going to do everything that I know medically. I'm going to I'm going to fumigate. I'm going to try to resolve any potential issue. Right. This is uh, yes. he's going to wipe, Lysol wipe the banana if necessary. Um, but then he says he's going to administer medicine and take it. Yeah. Avoid people and places so that he doesn't get sick and he doesn't get anyone else sick. I mean, he's he's talking about social distancing. You yeah. know, and okay, he is. And this is this is wisdom, and, but at the same time, he comes back to, look, if God's going to find me, and for Luther, nothing happened outside of the control of God, not not any individual decision that anyone made, uh, and so for him, everything in the cosmos, every minor detail was dictated by God, uh, and so you. As even as Christians who don't necessarily take the sovereignty of God down to the minute micro decision, mm-hmm. uh, we can still say that you know what, if God wants to take me home, He knows exactly where I'm at. Sure, and we can join Luther in that statement. Absolutely. And so, you know, he talks about having a responsibility for for himself and for others. And his wife was pregnant during this time frame, and they still opened up their house to care for plague victims. Amazing. So. You know, this is this is not an idle. This is not idle chatter. This is not him in, a, in an ivory tower talking to individuals and from a distance. No, he's he's right in the middle of it, and he says, "Look, if things are so bad, right? No, no public hospital systems at this time, right? No, no major means of caring for the sick. Sure. So yeah. Christians invited the sick into their homes, and we saw the same thing in 1918." Um, 
you know, leaders within the Assemblies of God and within uh, the Church of God, both Pentecostal movements that had really started less, just right around a decade sure. uh, before. And with Azusa and, you know, some of the things that the Lord was doing around the country and around the world uh, at that same time. And not everything started in Azusa because the Spirit of God was working all over the world uh, right around the turn of the century in mm-hmm. 1900. Um, but you know, these two movements, the Assemblies of God and the Church of God, both had leaders that were inviting the sick into their home to pray for them, to care for them. And you know what? Some of them saw those people that they invited into their houses die. And yet they didn't abandon their faith. They didn't throw it away. They didn't question the power of God. You know, in those moments, they lovingly cared for their, the people that were there. And they said that they rejoiced because they had seen that person transition to their heavenly home. And so for the believer, death does not need to be something that is feared. It can be something that is embraced with hope because of the reality of who God is. And, and what would you say to, this This may sound radical to some, there's been a lot today about Psalms 91, you know, that there's yeah. been a lot of that, that narrative going around. Yeah. It seems to be a conditional promise that those who seek their shelter in God and make their refuge God, mm-hmm. um, that he will protect them. And, you know, you hear like testimonies of like, uh, let's say John G. Lake from the early, yeah. early yeah. you know, the right. healing rooms in the state of Washington. And he, he they would put, I understand... Uh, germs or disease on his hand, look at it under a microscope and it would die. Um, you know, he, he had such a high view of, of faith and healing. What mm-hmm. about that edge of it? I mean, should we, I believe we can wed pragmatics like Luther is talking about, like social distancing and super faith. Can we wed that together? And what about that in, in particular, that edge of it, like yeah. the Psalms 91 or John G. Lake? Yeah, I, I think we those those can be wed, but what I I think we have to be careful of is that we don't cling to a specific view out of fear, okay? Because I think that sometimes we we can um, that can actually be a fear response. Not from I'm not saying from everyone, not even saying from most people, but you know as I see people posting online about you know refusing to to back down from meetings and, um, you know, just any number of things that are going on in the, in the world today, right? Yeah, just, sure. um, you know, people will get entrenched in a position. And I think that we can, um, out of fear of change, out of fear of adapting, um, out of fear of seeing some, something that we have made an absolute in our faith that maybe shouldn't be, um, we uh, hold on to some of these things that it may look like super faith, but actually it might be motivated by fear. And I think we have to be careful of that. And that's, mm. that's, I'm not accusing everyone of that. I'm not necessarily oh, know, saying that's about the it. case Absolutely. with everybody, yeah. but I think it's something that we have to internally process. Sure. And, um, and, you know, really for us to walk with the Lord, I mean, this intimacy with Jesus is the key during this time that no matter, no matter how you respond, uh, you know, I mean, I, I 100% affirm that when we are in the center of God's will, uh, you know, we are in the safest place we can be. Uh, you know, Jim Elliott said that. Um, yeah. He was later killed. <laughs> he was martyred as a missionary. But, you know, he said that the safest place you can be is in the middle of God's will. And, you know, as a result of his death, a, an entire native tribe came to know Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. You know, this, uh, that's Jesus, you know, and, and Jesus saying it of himself. But, you know, we, we follow a faith where our leader died 
where he was killed. And so we can say death is not the end. Death is not defeat. I think that is an important thing to hang on to. But man, absolutely, let's pray for the sick. Let's believe that that they will recover. Let's not be afraid. Let's not respond out of fear. And you know, I think that you know, for those that that are in the midst of that, that have uh, you know, that are are praying for the sick right now, that have this you know, sick people that are in their homes. If you're working as a healthcare worker, please pray for the people on your on your ward, the people on your shift. You know, pray for them. Uh, you know, I'm not asking you to violate your work codes or any of that, but you know, prayer can happen internally, and to for you to be embracing that and to see people recover, see the sick recover. Because the church, even even as we care for the dying, we also pray for their healing. I mean, this is this is the the tension that we walk in as followers of Jesus, that mm. God heals some and not all not always all. And, you know, we know that he has raised the dead, that he does raise the dead. I mean, I think a few years ago with Jesus Culture Cleveland, you know, there was a, a baby that had drowned and was blue and CPR hadn't worked. And uh, a girl that was attending the conference, uh, she was a, a, an elementary school teacher, uh, and she had actually gone back to the hotel to avoid the evangelism portion of the event. And uh, while there, she encountered somebody screaming by the pool and rushed in to see what was going on. And there was a child that was there that had turned blue, an African-American young young boy that had turned blue. Mm. And uh, she, you know, that nothing was working to resuscitate him. And she laid her hand on his chest and she said, I declare life in the name of Jesus. And she said his body rippled, he spit up water and began to breathe. Wow. And, you know, for her, that, that story turned her, you know, turned her world upside down. It's She's real. A, a, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was, uh, so I remember hearing her testimony that night and just being, just feeling the, the, just the spirit of God moving on that testimony, just as she shared that. And, you know, uh, there were subsequent testimonies of, of resurrection, resuscitation that came after that, that were just as miraculous as that moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there were three, a series of three anyway. Um, there was a pastor down in, in uh, a pastor. She became a pastor's wife. Um, she and her husband got into ministry after that. They ended up in Reading. Um, but anyway, they, uh, you know, this is a real person. That's, I say, give some of those details to say this isn't a pastor story. This isn't a preacher story. This was a person. Okay. And um, a kingdom agent, you know, right? I, and I just, yeah, it's yeah. important for us to hang on to both of those extremes and to hold them in tension. And so really, I, I guess I want to say our default, if we believe in the full spectrum Christ following, if we believe in full spectrum, like you will do greater works than these, you know, uh, yeah. you know, the end of the gospel of Mark, you know, when we're on assignment yeah. for Jesus, Jesus promises that nothing shall injure us. We shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. If we yeah. drink anything deadly, it will not, you know, Paul shaking off the snake, you know, the, on the island right. of Malta, you know, I know I'm going to die one day, but it's not going to be by this snake right now, right? I'm still on assignment. Yeah. Um, so it's it seems that, you know, for those who believe in full spectrum Christ following, that's how I like to phrase it. I hope that's not offensive to some, but yeah. Um, yeah. our default response should be a strong stance of faith in these instances, yeah. and yet be open that, you know not to become discouraged or to, or to shrink back when we don't see it 100 percent of the time. That's right. Yeah. How, yeah. Can, how can we personally be renewed during this time, Michael? It seems like uh, much of the world is put on some kind of a Selah or Shabbat or something, uh, yeah. a, a gear yeah. down, and it's just amazing. I mean, sports, 
films, you know, theaters, late night comedy. I mean, on and yeah. on and on, you know, business, the stock exchange is, is empty and shut down. I mean, what is happening? How can we be personally renewed during this time? Is this an opportunity for us? Absolutely. This is absolutely an opportunity for the church. This is an opportunity for us to be, first and foremost, voices of, of hope to the people around us. I mean, if we can be voices of hope, if we can help point people to uh, something beyond their fear, uh, man, that is that is powerful in this time. But I think it's important for us to be personally renewed during this season because, uh, you know, we need to get beyond our own fear. And, you know, for me, that looks like practicing spiritual disciplines. I know okay. that's not a popular term. You oh, can talk about spiritual it. spiritual habits. You can talk about um, spiritual practices, right? These are some of the things that, you know, people get a little bit more excited about. I mean, I think about all of the people that are starting to practice meditation, right? That it's, I mean, meditation has been touted, you know, uh, so far and wide right now. Sure. And, you know, uh, you know, as Christians, you know, we don't have to push back on that. We can say yes, but <laughs> yes, and this can be a yes and moment for the church and say yes, meditation's great, and Jesus should be the focus of that meditation. That that as let's, you know, going beyond your breath, let's breathe in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, you know, come on, going, All right. you know, like the, just going beyond the simple practice of focusing on your breathing and emptying yourself. You need to do a video and go on ahead, that. empty yourself, empty yourself, but then. But then invite in the presence. Invite in the presence of Absolutely. the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. You know, and so it's not a not a Zen like emptying of ourselves with nothing coming in, right? It's it's biblical meditation right. is, is is a breathing in of truth and presence. Yeah. You know, getting into spiritual habits and practices, um, John Mark Comer wrote an amazing book that I would highly encourage anyone to pick up, and that is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I've heard about this. Uh, he's somebody that has uh, spent time with John Ortberg, who uh, studied extensively with Dallas Willard. Okay. Uh, so, you know, this is uh, – there is a, a rich kind of spiritual heritage sure. there, but it is all about, you know, hurry being the enemy of spiritual connection that that when we rush when we hurry when we when we strive so frequently we are turning the volume down on the voice of god Come or on. tuning him out entirely and uh so in that book he he advocates for silence that's turning off the exterior noise you know go for a walk without a phone without a, an, an audiobook without a podcast without music just oh, go for oh, a walk no not that i know right <laughs> I, that's hard for me. Like I'm a big audiobook guy and I yeah. love going for walks and uh, and I love listening to books while I walk and then I'm like, ah, you know what? We need space to think and to we process. Do. We do, to hear. And, That's right. And so then the other component of that is internal silence, that we recognize some of the noise that we have going on and try to turn the volume down on our own internal noise to really hear from the Lord. And uh, solitude is about, you know, intentionally withdrawing from the world so that you have time to connect with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so and then you come talks, back. You come back to the yeah, world, richer yeah. and more able to yes. to to meet the moment, right? 
Yeah. And that's the point, you know, Sabbath is another uh, discipline that he talks about. And, you know, that starts for him on a Friday night with a great meal as a family. You know, he talked about uh, they bake a giant cookie and put ice cream on it. And then they, as a family, all eat out of the same giant, you know, bowl. <laughs> Essentially, they, uh, you know, this is a, yeah, the language kind of, of, our a, daughters a celebration right there, I mean. of life, wow. yeah. you know, desserts, spelled backwards, right? Desserts. Okay. A- anyway, so right. they, they, uh, they celebrate that as kind of the kickoff on Friday night. And then they put away screens and technology and um, all of the noise on Saturday. And they have a day where they are just disconnected from from anything that is uh, out, really in many ways outside the home, uh, but definitely you know connected to the broader world of hurry and noise and rush. Mm-hmm. And so that allows a time of refreshing connection as family, you know, developing rich moments as they they play games together, they read books together, they read books individually, they take naps. You know, these kind of things that you know seem like a you know a nap seems almost offensive in our current culture. Uh, and so who, who knew that a nap could be you know, yeah. a nap could be revolutionary. Yeah. Um, this stuff helps our immune know, system, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this all helps this us biologically on a, on a weekly basis. Yeah. So, and then, you know, the other things that he kind of talks about are, are simplicity and then slowing. And mm-hmm. uh, simplicity, you know, I mean, there's a lot on minimalism right now. And this is a, you know, there are a lot of Christian aspects to that. And so, you know, he talks some about uh, the the underlying uh, Christian philosophy of, of minimalism, not embracing, you know, not going the full, uh, Marie Kondo, but you know, how can you pull, how can you pull in, uh, the Christian traditions that have spoken to this and how living simply allows us, uh, to give more, to have greater impact in society. I mean, there are a few things that have had more impact on the history of the world than Christians who have chosen to work hard, earn as much as they can and live simply and then give generously, because when Christians live simply, earn earn a ton, and give generously, they change society. It's you can I see it. So I think times. that may be a formula for joy. That's what I think. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. So, I, I no, I I mean, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, Jesus said it's better to give than receive. I I think I had to be an adult before I fully understood that. Yeah. Having kids certainly has brought that into sharp perspective. <laughs> huh? You know, but, uh, you know, so simplicity and then finally slowing down slowing just down. as a discipline, choosing to slow down. And so, you know, those are maybe some spiritual disciplines for an updated age. That's uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Oh, we're going to put um, that on the show notes page. Okay, that book, as well as the app you mentioned earlier. Okay, you have to send me yeah, a link good. to that app. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Yeah. Wow. So, yes, this is this is wonderful. Being renewed and... If we take the time to renew, we have more strength and speed for what we have to do, I think. You know, we, yeah. can, we can meet the moment with the Christ energy instead of our fatigue. Um, yeah. I, I really do believe that one of the tactics of our adversary is to grind us down, wear us down. And I tell you, I don't mind confessing, when I get pushed by worry too much, you know, it brings out the worst in me. If I get driven with wor- or hurry too much, you know, yeah. I, I feel very out of place as a, um, as a, as a child of God. What about radical Christianity? Let's close with this, Michael, primitive Christianity. Yeah. What is primitive Christianity and what do you mean by radical Christianity? Yeah. So, well, since it's such a, a, a an incendiary term, I'll, I'll start with radical Christianity, right? This is, um, I'm not talking about leftist or Marxist or any kind of, uh, yeah. you know, philosophical, Terrorism. you know, yeah. on those lines. No, I'm talking about going back to the roots, 
radical means to the root. Isn't and, that what the Latin uh, word means? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It, it and so yeah. to be, you know, to be radical is to return to the roots of the faith. And um, the church has been at its best throughout the last 2,000 years when it is focused on primitive Christianity, radical Christianity, going back to the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, living that. What does the church look like? Maybe, you know, depending on who you talk to uh, at what point in history, uh, they may say it's the first 300 years, you know, prior to Constantine. Mm -hmm. Uh, For some, really, there was a flourishing right after that. So a lot of folks will extend that into the 400s, you know, because you get get the Cappadocians, you get, um, you know, you get a a number of of Christian writers and thinkers that were uh, just highly influential because they finally had freedom from persecution to produce things and to write. Uh, and, you know, so, so this would be during the century after, after Constantine, right? Like during yes, the 300s. Yes, right after yeah. Constantine. So okay. you, you had that, that kind of first generational flourishing after Constantine. Okay. Um, but, you know, really to go back to that and to see, you know, what did they say about Jesus? What did they say about living life? What did they, what were their spiritual disciplines? And as you look at those things, you see a biblical faith that is rich, that is carried out and lived in society. That is when, you know, there were two eras of plague that swept through the Roman society during that time frame, and the Christians came out stronger. The faith grew, um, believers as individuals and, and Christians as a societal component, you know, grew dramatically during those plagues. And it was, it was because they go back to this connection with Christ, a belief in eternal life and a connection with the spirit of God. You know, I think that those, those things you see, and sometimes there are the movements that have kind of come out of that since then, they focus on one aspect of it. You know, it may be, uh, you know, like the, the monastic traditions that were really focused initially on holiness. They were trying to be separate from the world and mm. to, to encounter God through prayer. And, you know, monasticism gets a, a, a bad rap in a lot of Western circles now. But uh, Martin Luther came out of monasticism. A lot of reformers came out of monasticism. You know, they were the people that were were really trying to do their best to honor Jesus and to pray for the world and to see God's God's will, God's desire, uh, God's kingdom influence the world. And so um, that looked a variety of different ways. And certainly it got legalistic at different points. And and sometimes there were, you know, political struggles and powers that, uh, you know, I mean, the church in the, in the West was just so entwined with uh, with politics really yeah. from the year 800 on with constant or uh, sorry with um Charlemagne. Uh, Charlemagne. Yeah. With Charlemagne in 800 being christened, uh, you know, king, Holy Roman Emperor uh, in the Vatican, you know, on Christmas Day in the year 800, right? This was a kind of a watershed moment. Uh, and from that point on, the, the Roman Church and the Roman Empire, uh, you know, the Catholic Church, the Roman Empire are intertwined. And it continues on, you know, through in the West, really from that point on. So you need movements that kind of break that connection with politics, movements that break that connection with politics, break that connection with uh, with systems and structures of the world and call people back to an essential individual life patterned after the life of Jesus. Yeah, so really like the principle or the dynamic of monasticism, you're saying there are ways we can um, contextualize that, right, in, in, in our postmodern time without going off into a desert for year, for decades on end. But yeah. I mean, you know, yes. you know, we're able to pull away, we're able to do retreats, solitude, practice these things. Yeah. 
and, and get and get that monastic uh, energy in our life. And I mean, really recognizing that our life should be ordered around the calendar of God rather than our current yearly cycle, or especially not ordered around our new cycle. I mean, the, okay, the book of hours. Wait a minute now, know? wait a minute. There's, yeah. some, there's, some yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's some gold right there. Okay. First off, you're saying we should not be ordered around the Gregorian calendar? Uh, well, I don't necessarily. Is, is I mean, on some level, yes. Okay. Tap into the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. Okay. Absolutely. All right. All right. And, and and so, what do you mean by that? That our that our calendar should be reordered. Yeah. So for for monastic orders, they structured their entire day around prayer. There there were times when they would gather for prayer. They would times they would ah. do individual study of scripture, and that is what shaped their lives. Our daily weekly uh, calendar. Mean, you're saying, yeah. Each and, each seven-day window than, should be reordered to prioritize the yeah. kingdom. Each twenty-four hour period, right, should be reordered. Right. You know, I, I think because I mean, just embracing an awareness of, you know, what God is with us. You know, we can connect with the Lord at any point in time. But being intentional for us to set our our focus on Him and connecting with Him. I mean, really, the the entire monastic life for so many different monastic orders. Uh, they were called to times of prayer throughout the day, and whether that's five times of prayer, seven times of prayer, defended, depended uh, some on, you know, the order that you were a part of, how many times of of prayer you were called to. But, you know, the ringing of the bell in the church was a call to prayer, and uh, and so you know even the the clock in Western society gets developed to help monastic people pray more consistently on a set time. So, you know, to go beyond the news cycle, to go beyond uh, this sense of hurry and rush, yes. but to be anchored in to seasons of prayer, you know, this, you know, you, if you go back to the biblical concept, you know, it's, it's Kairos, it's, it's entering in to God's timing. It's, it's not, uh, it's a holy moment. It's Windows. recognizing that, that yeah. some, some moments have more significance than others and so to be like willing if, to yes park I'm, there i'm yeah. yes park i'm sorry uh, so like recently i've been challenged with david he says you know evening morning and noon i will i will cry out to you three times yeah. a day i'm seeing that as maybe for me it's just a personal conviction that i need yeah. instead of just like one time a day during the morning I, that i need to develop a uh, this this trifecta approach you know like noon and evening may not be as long as the morning, perhaps, but still, these Kairos windows yeah. where you pull away, or Daniel would pray three times a day as well. He had to, yeah. to survive. Yeah. He had, to and do what he that did, he had to. With, yeah. You see that practice with the disciples, you know, they're, they're going to the temple, right? They're healing people on the way to the temple. Well, why are they going? They're going to pray. You know, and that's that was a normal part of early Christian life. Yeah, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like 3 p.m., an hour of prayer for them in the afternoon? Yeah. 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 So you've got you've got these different times of prayer uh, throughout the day. So you know, you, um, it is that that Acts two forty two kind of moment that you know what are they devoting themselves to? You know, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Mm -hmm. You know that these are things that the early church was devoting itself to. And mm -hmm. so recognizing that there are certain things that we should devote ourselves to, and and those things will call us away from the instant notification. Uh, the the Facebook page. I mean, man, we have so many time sinks in our society right now, <laughs> and uh, you know, they they a lot of them make us less happy and more anxious. I mean, they, they do. The, just, the, the research says it. You know, depression. Yeah, and there's so many I mean, studies. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I um, 
so we need to use these tools like smartphones and social media and the web itself as tools yeah. and not as detractors from what is real life, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I, I, I don't know, Michael, do you think that if we practice this, that if we pulled away, that if we, uh, you know, it's counterintuitive to our flesh, our flesh wants to run, run, run. We think we're losing time. We're actually investing time when we do this. I want to say we're multiplying time because we're smarter, we're faster. When we come back yeah. from these pullbacks yeah. to meet the moment with agility, right? Speed, mm -hmm. intelligence, instead of climbing ladders that are leaning up against the wrong building or rushing off and yeah. doing this. And it's not even the... I've come up with some A words recently, Michael, that have been, you know, like accuracy, acumen, mm -hmm. anointing, you know, alignment. I, I, these are concepts that I think that we need to be yeah. uh, uh, um, snapped to, you know, snapped to a grid, a kingdom grid. Um, wow. Do you think we would see more of the demonstration of the life and the works of Jesus in and through us personally and corporately as the body of Christ if we were to practice this? I, I guess that's a softball, but do you, <laughs> do, do you think we would? Yes, Absolutely. No, you know, I, it's it's an interesting time that we live in because the church in the West is is really floundering in a lot of ways. And I, and I say that as someone who's been a pastor for over a decade. You know, I, I look at what is currently going on, you know, in Western the Western church prior to this moment. I think that we are in a moment where things can be redefined. And I have been so blessed by seeing the way that many pastors have responded by going online and finding creative, uh, nuanced ways to care for their people sure. and to emphasize the truth of the gospel. And, and I love that, you know, I can tune in basically uh, three to four times a day. And one of my pastors from Bethel will be online, mm -hmm. you know, and sharing words of encouragement and, you know, praying for people and those kind of things. And I, I love being able to see that, you know, um, but we, we have been in many ways at a low point just with what uh, the Catholic Church has gone through with the abuse scandals, what has gone on with Me Too in the church. And yep. uh, just, you know, uh, just a, a I mean, uh, for millennials and younger, you know, having not been raised around church, near church, our biblical literacy is, is lower than ever, you know. Um, but I see this as a great moment of hope. And uh, the church worldwide right now is in the midst of incredible revival. And so we're in need of people who are practicing radical Christianity uh, in places like China, throughout much of Africa. I mean, Africa has quickly become the most Christian continent in the world. Um, you know, their, their churches are growing and, and exploding all over the place. I mean, uh, the last two Nobel Peace Prize winners have been African Pentecostals. Really? I mean, this is, yeah, you know, in you don't fields? hear that. In, as, in what fields do you know? Uh, one is... One is um, is a, a political leader, uh, I believe, Ethiopia. And um, then you can go back and look at it. And the second is a doctor who has cared for, uh, is cared for women, um, who especially those who have uh, experienced sexual violence uh, as a result of, of some of the military strife that's going on. And, um, you know, throughout, uh, I believe, parts of the Democratic Republic of Congo and uh, a number of, uh, you know, the countries in, in that area, so Central Africa. But please go check those details. I, I wasn't really planning on talking about that. But the last two, uh, I, and this I do know for sure, but the, the last two Nobel Peace Prize winners are African Pentecostals. All right. All right. All right. I love it. I appreciate you, Michael, and what you're doing. And digital theologian... Um... I 
I know if you could just go to YouTube and search for Digital Theologian, yeah. as I did, you can subscribe. I've subscribed. I know I'm going to become a fan. And right now you're working through the Gospel of John. And um, what do you see coming out after that? More church history stuff and, and understanding our tradition? Yeah, that's that's really the goal is is beyond this to unpack you know the, the riches of the history of the church and to bring those to folks right now in a way that is, you know, videos that are, uh, you know, 10 minutes or less, typically, uh, you know, something that is kind of bite size. Uh, after we get through the gospel of John, my plan is to put out, you know, a couple of videos a week, uh, touching on scripture, theology, church history, and ways that those connect with life today. And that we can go deeper in our understanding of, of God, of his kingdom, and what it means to be the people of God living in a digital age. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So what about, uh, social, how can people reach out to you socially on the web? Yeah. You know, I mean, the best thing still is YouTube. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not on Facebook a ton. I, you know, in light of some of the stuff we've been talking about, I, I really have a low social media presence. Um, but I will be posting those videos to the digital theologian, uh, Facebook page, you know, as they come out, as new videos come out, I'll be posting them there and you can interact with me some on there. Um, you can always send me an email at Michael at Bethel. Sorry. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a holdover. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, you can send me an email at Michael at digital theologian.com or, you know, send me leave a comment on a YouTube video. You know, I see those comments. I respond to all of those as they come in. I at least, you know, I've read them. I give them a thumbs up. I, I let, you know, I let you know that I'm, I'm there and I'm seeing them. And so, you know, as you have thoughts, comments, questions on any video that I'm putting out, please go ahead and do that. Or you can just, as I said, send me an email at michael at digitaltheologian.com. Okay, great. So your website is digitaltheologian.com, correct? Uh, yeah, and yeah, so man. that's that's still in the in the early stages. YouTube right. is the primary way to get a hold of okay, me. Okay, man, your content stacking it's going to build out from here. Um, and so you do have an email list that goes out as well. Yes, I do. And okay, uh, if you want, there's on every every video on YouTube is the uh, is the link for the email. Okay, so you, where you can sign. Yeah, and so right now I have available on there a uh, five easy ways to get more out of reading the Bible. And so if you go ahead and you sign up for that, you'll get added to the email list. Oh, cool, cool. Hey, Michael, thanks for what you're doing. Keep going, all right? Never stop. And um, looking forward to all of this as it as it unfolds. And I think that you've really brought some helpful perspective and information of church history and even theological understanding about processing uh, crises like this and how we can um, game up in our own positioning ourselves for personal renewal through spiritual disciplines and practices and staying strong, staying refreshed. I think that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Appreciate it, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been great talking with you, Brian. You can go to the show notes page at jesusmart.com slash built for crisis his link to his digital theologian YouTube channel. You may want to subscribe to that channel. It's brand new. And Michael is uh, bringing, bringing the goods on that channel. Tremendous stuff. And also episode 120 again, how should God's people live when crisis shows up? First part of our conversation. To learn more about the podcast, go to jesussmart.com. Again, the show notes page for this episode jesussmart.com slash built for crisis. It always helps when you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. It helps to bring it before more people. There's an e-letter that's available free 
most every week. We seek to uh, bring their next level ideas and insights. We're all on a quest to develop more fully as a Christ follower, as an apprentice of his kingdom. So next level ideas and insights to that end in that e-letter. Well, my friend, Jesus is brilliant. He knows how life works best in a crisis. He knows how it works best every day, every week, and the future belongs to him. And we can start living now in the light of that horizon, that potential, that life, the new heavens and the new earth. Thanks for connecting.